I feel like everyone knows that one person who owns a record player, they wear bell bottoms, they listen to the Beatles, and they always go, I wasn't meant for this generation. I was meant to be born in the 1960s, the 1970s. I mean, he sort of laughed it off, but you know, is there any legitimacy to that? Well, we're going to look at that today. I'm Gloria Robinson. And I'm Caroline Bonnenberger. And we are the hosts of the podcast Go Off that you're listening to right now. As Gen Zers, we've seen this trend over and over again of people um, identifying with other sorts of generations that live in Gen Z. I feel like that is one of the things that has made Gen Z, Gen Zs in the sense of that we like to relate to other um, generations like your parents or your grandparents or so on. So before we get started and really go into depth about this topic, we wanted to hear what the public had to say. I don't think I was born in the wrong generation because I think the development of the science and technology and also social media have, has broadened our way, our ethos, or even our worldviews, which means we can have more um, different options to choose. I was born in 1998, and I think that I was born in the wrong generation because I think that I relate more with millennials and I think that you know having been brought up in an era that didn't really have technology when they were teenagers um, would have worked a little bit more with my lifestyle I think that right now yes I am very involved with social media but I wish I was and I think that it takes away from being in the present I don't think I was born in the wrong generation because I feel like the things that I appreciate and that I enjoy, I guess, about previous generations are things that I wouldn't appreciate if I was like in that generation. I think that I'm able to look back and say like I can appreciate certain aspects, but I also think that there's like there's certain aspects that obviously like aren't good. You get certain social norms that just change over time that are constantly evolving that I think if you were to go back in those generations, it's just not something that I think I would be comfortable with. So after hearing those sound bites, um, some of the common themes that we noticed with the sound bites were that people have responded to the fact that we are a more diverse generation in terms of interracially, the way that we've adapted other cultures and acceptance. We've also felt that some people feel that they are more millennials. And there is that strict cutoff line about the fact of how we have grown up with tech and our relationship to it, which is a huge part of why people feel in Gen Z that they were born in the wrong generation. We feel about the way that tech has enhanced or hindered our relationships and the way that we communicate with one another another. So to back this all up, Caroline, why don't you tell us more of your research about why people feel they were born in the wrong generation? All right. Well, first off, I think we first need to discuss the elephant in the room. The phrase, I was born in the wrong generation, has sort of become a meme. It's kind of just used to describe someone who romanticizes other generations and only likes the superficial aspects of uh, those periods in time. So I did some research myself and that's like, I guess that meme started coming into effect around like 2015. There was a video from a YouTuber called Filthy Frank and he was kind of just calling everyone out who did that sort of thing, specifically on like music videos. And it's funny because we look at those people and we laugh at them like, oh, you're just being like you're romanticizing something that you weren't alive for. But I mean, there is some legitimacy behind it. Do you have anything to say about like how this affects like millennials and how they kind of maybe share those same sentiments as we do? 
Yeah, I think for sure. I think there's the aspect of how technology has played a huge role in in many things. And we will go into more depth um, later in the episode about specifically what technology has influenced. But I think the main thing is relationships and how we relate to one another. So kind of picking back piggybacking off that Spotify, believe it or not. So if you're wondering why they've become so successful and you're like, great, free music. But what they also like to do is take your data and figure out what you're doing. So some fun statistics to read about is that 49% of a study that Spotify did was they found that Gen Zers have camaraderie in sharing their feelings and sadness and loneliness. I think that's pretty interesting. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if millennials felt the same way as well in the sense of connecting among emotion or bringing back humanity. Another interesting percentage was that over half the participants in the study said they were friends with someone from another country online. So that's no surprise that Gen Z is fueling something like the K-pop craze or other sorts of musical movements. Mm. And lastly, we read that 72% of people they studied in 2018 said that discovery boosts happiness so give them something new unauthentic and i think the trends that spotify is talking about has kind of crossed um sections and other sort of tech platforms as well and i think that millennials and gen zers are kind of the first couple of generations that we're seeing right now to really take on this way of technology and how it's impacted their lifestyle Mm -hmm. in that sense in terms of was i born in the wrong generation because you would think technology is more recent well we're born in the right generation but i think in terms of the aspect of humanity in the sense of sharing camaraderie about Mm -hmm. sad feelings that is i think something that millennials and gen zers especially feel a deep connection to and why we might listen to music in other generations so think about this caroline if you're listening to boomer rock like Queen, the Beatles, a lot of those songs talk about emotions and they really hone in deeply. They're not just the formulaic, synthetic things that might get the most number of hits, but in the sense of raw humanity and emotion. And so if you think about that concept, we want to connect on that. The music that we're producing today, I think, has elements to it, but it's about the fact that you got broken up on text, which is true, but it doesn't elicit that emotion of how you feel about the fact that you got broken up on text. I actually kind of disagree with you there, Glow. Really? I feel like, so this is kind of something that is consistent amongst all generations, that you have some musicians and some artists that they make such moving, deeply emotional work, like uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall. That is such a raw album. It's a generation-defining, culture-defining album. But then you have stupid, stupid music like The Carpenters or Captain and Tennille or like Disco Duck. Like there's also that synthetic fluffy pop. And then you look at artists from our generation. I'm thinking in like specifically Billie Eilish. She does a lot of songs about her mental health. And as we discussed in the last episode of our podcast, uh, tech does affect our generation's mental health. Um, We are found to be a more depressed and more anxious generation. So perhaps tech has influenced her music, but I wouldn't say that, like I still think that people connect to her music on a similar level to how they would with uh, similar artists at uh, in the 1970s and the 1980s. It's like that music is out there if you're looking for it. And then of course there's the whole thing about, um, music made for, uh, commercialization. Of course, the songs that are going to be most popular are most likely going to be kind of interpersonal synthy 
fun party songs. No, I think that's a really interesting point, and I think that's something I neglected to say earlier, but I think the aspect of connecting in that level of humanity is really fascinating and how we're still craving that. And so Mm -hmm. I think this also kind of brings into one of the other aspects of how the Gen Z is responding to our societal progress. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really huge because I think the way technology has played a role with the way that we've um, responded to it is interesting Mm because I think there are two main responses that I've noticed just being a Gen Zer and talking to my friends about this is I think there are people that are like all into the whole, I like the influencing, I like Instagram, I like seeing what people are up to, I like Facebook. Mm -hmm debatably but I think and like that way of connection but I think we also see this other trend of people that really despise these tech institutions in the sense of how it's hindering relationships Mm -hmm. how it's hindering the sense of having a deep connection or having conversations again and so obviously the way that society's progressed is in a really good direction in the sense of that we're able to connect with people across the world listen to music being interconnected but in the sense of the quality of that I think has been debated i okay so yes i see what you're saying now so i think i could apply how what you're saying to online dating yeah and especially with uh tinder and bumble i know so many people and i've seen this in memes on the internet of people being like you know like i just want someone to send me like you know anonymous uh love notes in calligraphy all fancy like they did back in the olden days Mm. And then, you know, have like a traditional date where, you know, you sit down, you go to like a cute little restaurant and you sit down and like people yearn for that sort of connection that has been lost because of tech. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're saying can definitely be applied to other aspects of the Gen Z culture. No, I think that's that's really interesting about the sense of online dating and how that has connected people, but also been an awkward sense like um, ways that people meet each other has I think definitely changed over time. Oh yes. I think another aspect to bring up about you know was I born in the wrong generation is kind of in the sense of relationships and romanticizing other generations. So another good example is pop culture. Yes. For sure. Now a common thing about Gen Zers is that we have this obsession with 80s teen movies and 90s teen movies. Caroline, tell me more as a film and TV connoisseur. Yeah, for those who do not know, I love film and TV. I might be majoring it. I don't know. We'll see. Okay, with the rise of Netflix, this is the chance, I guess, that Gen Z people are having to look back on the shows that their parents have talked about or maybe they've seen like reruns on TV land or something and it's their time to go back and reevaluate it for their own and like think about how prevalent Friends is amongst our generation oh my god like Friends is such a big topic of bonding amongst so many people in our generation like I want to say it's popularity could mirror like that when it was in its peak yeah. Like, uh, you I see so many friends memes on Instagram. Twitter, T-shirts. Um, yeah, all that. Like, all the merchandise. Twitter was outraged when Netflix said that they weren't going to have friends, I think, next year or the year after. And then you also see with Seinfeld. Like, Seinfeld oh, is such... Seinfeld. Seinfeld is such a huge part of meme culture, specifically George Costanza. George! Yeah, he's just a huge part of meme culture and, like, the sting... Uh, of like Seinfeld, that's such a huge part of meme culture. So with the advent of streaming, it's giving Gen Z, and I guess the millennials, but we're talking about Gen Z, it's giving them the opportunity
opportunity to have them decide what media is relevant from the past that's relevant mm-hmm. to them today. What media is going to last for a long time? Like, you know, some shows didn't. Like Murphy Brown, they had a pretty sad revival that mm-hmm. first I mean, that was a popular show in the 90s, but it just didn't stick with the culture of today for us young people. But Friends, I mean, I feel like that's they've tackled some pretty universal themes that are still really relevant for all of us so we can connect to to it and we can still quote it and dress like the characters and and uh, do personality types or you see those buzzfeed quizzes yes. like are you a monica or are you phoebe or exactly. chandler or things like that you know and uh, caroline tell us more about the history of nick at night so i'd love to talk about nick at night any of my friends or family from i guess late elementary school to early middle school know that i was an absolute Full House Junkie back in the day. I loved it so much. Uh, the first episode I saw uh, was the season four finale when I was in fourth grade. Um, it was like a Saturday morning and it was on Nick at Night. And um, Nick at Night has such an interesting history. So back in the day, Nickelodeon was like a, you know, it was a cable service. So you had to pay to have it. And uh, Nick at Night was kind of added as a programming block in order to draw in the baby boomer crowd who would be buying this product for their Gen X children. So they had like the kid shows on there, obviously. They needed to market their channel in a way to appeal to the people who were actually spending their money on it. So what they did was, I think it was in 1985, they... Um, created Nick at Night, um, and it was a program that they have once they once they thought that the kids would go to bed, um, they would start playing old TV shows from the 1950s and 60s that the boomers would probably remember, like Leave it to Beaver, mm-hmm. um, like the Donna Reed show. Um, Brady Bunch. Bra- well, that was later. Oh, that was later. Yes. My bad. Okay. But they would play that, those sort of stuff, because like, that would draw in the baby boomer crowd, because they would remember watching those shows when they were younger, so they, you know, why not buy it again and relive those happy memories? And since then, Nick at Night has changed. I mean, they don't really show any of their old 1950s show. Now they're looking to impress late Gen X and uh, Early millennials. millennials. Yeah. yeah, they're looking to impress them. No, that's, that's a super interesting point. I yeah. think another aspect of pop culture that is interesting is the sense of like the kinds of things that we gravitate towards mm-hmm. like why are those shows so popular and i think you know a common theme like i've said again is connecting humanity and finding ways to do that because i think friction in our mm-hmm. society is the way that we're connecting with each other mm-hmm. and i think find genuine ways to elicit emotion i mean you could make an argument that the reason why people are against progress in society whether it was um jean jacques rousseau or people now is the sense of how we are dealing with our emotions yes i think there's a whole argument as to why we love nostalgia as humans um i mean you always I feel like it's become more most popular since I guess like 2010 with like the rise of like the 80s nostalgia and now the 90s and 2000s nostalgia mm-hmm. but the truth is like nostalgia has always been popular. I have an article from the New York Times by a man by the name of John Tierney and in that article he discusses the psychological effects of nostalgia and 
he didn't go into the more human aspects of it, but I could inference from the research that he found. So the research that was presented was that, you know, nostalgia is something that's familiar and it's obviously much more pleasing for the human mind to watch something familiar that they know that that reminds them of like a more innocent time than it is to think about what's going on right now because that can cause them anxiety. That's all new stuff that they don't know. You know, we live in a very anxious society today and it's nice to go back and think about what you perceive to be a simpler time and what you perceive to be as a time without anxiety that may that probably was not the case at all but I don't know the way you perceive it is that there wasn't and it was perfect and you just go back into that little shell this is not kind of getting a little off topic but I think it's relevant to state that and there's a really great book called the power of moments by Dan and Chip Heath that talks all about the science of why we have nostalgic memories so for example they just studied that Families that went to Disneyland would kind of rate every activity on a scale of one to ten. Like how excited was it? Was like waiting with your kids in line to um, for their favorite ride? Was it them, you know, going to bed? Was it them like getting off the ride and you seeing those big smiles that are just so priceless to see of your own kids? And you know, there'd be ups and downs in the high moments of like you know when their kid is about to um, go down the roller coaster and they're so excited. You know, they would rate like that a nine. But, you know, if they're crying and they're waiting for food at breakfast, maybe that was like a two. And what they did was they mathematically, you know, did the averages to see what they had actually score overall, like scoring the trip one to ten. Or they would and then the participants would rate it without looking at those scores, just saying, hey, how was your trip to Disneyland? Scale out of one to ten. And they'd say like nine or ten. But really, mathematically, they got a score. They scored themselves as like a six or a seven. And the reason why that was interesting is because those couple moments of that happiness or that rush of dopamine they see of those priceless moments of those nines or tens outweighs the moments of the twos or the fours. That makes complete sense, honestly. That makes sense. I mean, as a 19-year-old girl, I still get excited about the prospect of going to Disney World just to relive (laughs) those, like, nostalgic moments. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And so, and the question of, was I born in the wrong generation? I think that we, as Gen Zers, don't necessarily have that relationship with nostalgia, Mm -hmm. but maybe looking at some of the things like, you know, watching Sweet Life of Zack and Cody or Hannah Montana or those shows that we still sometimes late at night like to watch. Not going to name any names at Caroline. No shame. (laughs) Anyway, I've been wanting to do that as well. (laughs) But I think our relationship was under trying to relate back to that time that where we re, technology wasn't an issue the concept of productivity wasn't um an issue so for example the breakfast club um is a really good example or ferris bueller's day off watching those 80s movies and being like wow they didn't have to deal with all these text messages that we mm-hmm. get bombarded with or all this emails or um all these homework assignments it was like oh yeah like life just appeared simpler to us yes And I think that's part of our fixation with it. Yes, it's perceiving, it's romanticizing really. It's, you're taking the good parts of a, of a a time period and you're kind of just assuming that, oh, they're not showing me the 
you know, the bad parts of it. And we live in such an anxious time. So that must have been so much better. Like it must have been so much better to live during the 1950s with Donna Reed and her family. But wait, there was the whole Cold War thing going on and the whole, you know, threat of that. Oh, but it would be so nice to live during the 1960s. Oh, wait, the Cold War was also still going on. And there was a whole civil rights movement. Like there, no time period is impervious to that sort of thing. But, you know, you look at things back with rose tinted glasses because it makes you happy and comfortable and that's I don't know it's nice to feel that way I totally agree I think that though the aspect of how we're responding in terms of progress I think we should spend you know unpack that aspect or um, deconstruct as one of my friends would always say when we're talking about an issue in depth is how are we responding to this and what are our thoughts because I think that society ultimately is making really great progress in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. I love the fact of being able to be connected to people around the world or listening to music from around the world or being able to go back and watch shows from another time as opposed to waiting until they just happen to show it on a TV channel. Mm -hmm. However, I feel like that the way to the extreme that we've gone with it is a problem. So, for example, the fact that there's only five media companies controlling all the media you consume. Caroline, what are your thoughts about that? Oh, that makes me angry. That makes me really angry. I mean, for a whole host of reasons, that makes me angry. But it it that that honestly makes it so that if i were a filmmaker or something i would want to say i wish i was born in a different generation so that my art house film would be able to have like a bigger effect on the population like we're going back to an era of, of the studio system that was kind of reminiscent to like the golden age of hollywood in the 1930s and 40s and then you know they stopped that cuz that was a crazy, ridiculous time. And then uh, in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s, there was just so many art house films being made and all these little niche movies that found their own cult following. And those sorts of movies, it is so difficult to have those being made. Now you have to please the Disney gods or like, I don't know, the Comcast gods or whomever in order to get your movie made or your TV show made. I think this also segues into the point of how big companies are kind of taking over what we consume. So moving on to Google, Facebook, Amazon, I'm not against the concept of what they're doing in the sense of, you know, Amazon, if I need something, I can literally just go on there and order it. Yes, Lord Bezos has taken over. Yes. True. (laughs) I think it's also brilliant in the sense of how he's like, how can I make people think that when they need a product, I'm the number one company that they will go to. And he's done a really good job with that Amazon Prime. It's kind of dangerous. Anyway, (laughs) moving on to Facebook in the sense of, you know, it's become like this online bulletin board for us, for colleges, for exchanging things, for connecting with people on a very preliminary, um, superficial level. Mm -hmm. I think it still plays a role. But I think the uplash that we've seen is that the way of how they've gone about collecting our data. Oh, yes. And that's a huge issue. And I think that's where something a lot of people have said, I was born in the wrong generation. And the sense of not feeling like you have rights or have those opportunities. So it's amazing how, on one end, these companies are trying to make you have free ability to express yourself mm-hmm. or to make meet all your needs. But then at the same time, they are doing exactly what you antagonize. That's interesting. I haven't thought about it that way before. 
Yeah. And so I think, you know, when people respond to tech, I think there's the aspect of data privacy, which is which is huge in the sense of 1984-esque, was I born in the wrong generation? Is Orwell kind of, um, you know, pre-predicting what we're actually living in right now? Mm-hmm. But I also think there's the aspect of the way we connect with each other, too. And what does that actually mean of whether it's meeting people, whether it's connecting and having a genuine connection to fulfill those emotions? Yeah. So I guess what you could be saying is that there's a lot more nuance to yes. just saying was I, I was born, born in, in yeah, like yeah. there's a whole lot of stuff there. And I mean, you know, you can still go ahead and make fun of those people because they probably aren't thinking about these more deeper uh, subconscious issues when they say that. They're probably just being surface level and just getting annoyed that Justin Bieber's a popular singer or something <laughs> and that, I don't know, Queen isn't. But like, I guess there's some legit- legitimacy and nuance behind that phrase. Well, I also think another thing is the job market is also a huge aspect of was I born in the wrong generation. Mm -hmm. So another interesting fact is that they've done economic studies about how people get jobs. And what they found is back in the later half of the 20th century, I think probably the the 1960s through about the 1980s, it was very common that if there was profit over gross, um, over profits or high margin increases that the whole company would get a more equal distribution of those profits Mm -hmm. for bonuses from the very bottom to the top. Now what happens is CEOs, due to laws and policies, they are actually able to take those profits and keep them for themselves. And so that is one of the contributors. I'm not saying it is the contributor, but is one of the contributors about why we have an economic gap in companies or it's a lot harder to move up. So another example is the fact of if you're trying to get promoted within a company, it takes about five years to get from, you know, to like that position. If you are trying to move up a significant amount, I don't know what the exact amount is. However, if you are looking for that same job, if you go job hunting outside, it will take you three years. And the reason why that is, is because they've found that companies are paying their entry-level positions more than you're technically worth. But over time, you gain those skills where you're still getting paid more, but your skill set outweighs the amount you're getting paid. Mm -hmm. And so now what's happened, that was originally, back from the 60s to the 80s. But now what's happened is that they're actually paying you more than you're actually worth in the sense of trying to keep you or job security or company security for stability. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, that's intriguing. I think something that defines our generation is, I guess that sort of job instability. And then I guess older generations being like, oh, but you have it so easy. You're expecting so much from people when you're trying to get a job. Like, you're not as good as you think you are. Well, I think another thing that's fascinating is in the sense of it is very generational where you go to work at a company and you stay there for multiple years. Like, the job hopping did occur during that time, but it was more common where someone would build their whole career in one company, and I think that's really changed. And so I think that idea of always trying to be hunting or getting on the job hunt or even, like, Mm -hmm. you know, internships when you're in college as opposed to just getting real work experience once you graduate has changed tremendously, and I think it's put a lot of stress on people. And I think that's another reason why people say, I was born in the wrong generation is not having to deal with that nearly as much or the idea of vocational jobs too or feeling like your education is going somewhere. Oh, yeah, definitely. This isn't to discount the anxieties that we are feeling right now in the 21st century. There are certainly so many different anxieties out there that are unique just to our time period and perhaps unique just to our generation. Um, But we mustn't forget 
that there are there were other anxieties back in the day specific to those times and specific to those generations and i understand again not trying to discount those anxieties but everyone's had them since the beginning of time and it's easy to forget that when you're just looking at the superficial aspects of a decade or the aesthetics of a decade Absolutely. Absolutely. I, t- I completely agree. Well, I think that we've covered quite a bit today. Oh, yes. And I just want to give a summary recap of what you co- of what we covered. So yes. if you're talking to your friend and being like, hey, this episode was super interesting. What's it about? So here's your answer. So I think we covered on the sense of research and the sense of the meme mm-hmm. um, filthy from Filthy Frank about was I born in the wrong generation? We also talked about how people have or Gen Zers have responded to the idea of progress whether that's their response to the way we have relationships with people and the way how technology has impacted our data privacy. I think we've also talked about the nostalgia aspect of what Gen, why Gen Z finds other generations fascinating and that aesthetic going to a very scientific degree about that. And we've also talked about the job market and um, inducing stress and anxiety as one of the factors of why Gen Z feels um, nostalgic towards other generations. Yes. Anyway, thank you so much for um, listening. Once again, I'm Glow Robinson. And I'm Caroline Bonnberger. And this is Go Off. Go Off is a podcast affiliated with WTBU for Boston University.